What a joy to be here in Boone with y'all. And how the Lord in his providence brought us here today to share with you that which is most precious to me, and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna open up by introducing, if we could get that screen, there's Billy Grace. Let me tell you this gal, Grace, she's amazing Grace. Who would ever go with a guy to Ethiopia on that dark continent that you see up there? And look at how big that continent is. It is massive, y'all. Some people ask me, hey, uh, did you see Mr. Johnson there in Africa? We worked in that India part there, where you, the yellow. And above us is Eritrea, to the left is Sudan, South Sudan. And then we have Kenya just below us. And for the last 40 years, we've been working with a group called SIM, working in over 70 countries around the world with about 4,000 workers. And you know, someone came up to me and asked me a profound question. Bill, are you a missionary? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, it's the perfect call letters for a mission. And we have loved, we have no regrets of serving there. Let's get the next screen up there. That's what we looked like when we went to Ethiopia. And we had another one born out there. And then this is really 2022 and we all got together, one granddaughter's missing in that picture, but that's the, the explosion of the Harding family. And um, what's so beautiful is our kids all love the Lord. They've served as missionaries uh, in Ethiopia and South Africa and Costa Rica. But finally, we were able to get together. It's hard to get everybody together, as you know, if you've tried to have family reunions. But that's us. Next, the water slide. Y'all take water for granted. I just turned on the tap and psh, out came the water and I drank it. Here in Ethiopia, they don't have that pleasure. 80% of the disease in Ethiopia is waterborne. Grace and I were heading to Liberia when we got a letter from the communist regime of Ethiopia. You see, Ethiopia back in the early 80s and 70s as well was a Soviet satellite. All the Russian military hardware was there. We'd see it. In 83, 84, there was a famine and a drought. Close to a million people perished. 83, 84. The communist government looked at my resume and saw that everything on it was why all missionaries were kicked out. All churches underground. And we get a letter. Bill, we see on one line that you helped put in a sprinkling system in a golf course in Tiga Kay, South Carolina. 
They must have thought that I knew that water runs downhill. But in that context, water jumped out and they said, expedite a visa for Bill and Grace Harding and their family to come to Ethiopia. Folks, that changed the whole trajectory of our lives. We were going there and now we were heading to Ethiopia. We got there and we were met with AK-47s. Grace looked around, everything was brown. Sky was brown. People were brown. The earth was brown. She said, oh my goodness, am I gonna have to raise my kids here? We went on to language school. You know, the Amharic language, which we were learning, has over 250 characters in the alphabet. And I was struggling with 26, like you guys are. <laughs> Gymnastics of the tongue. And the more you got into it, the more you thought, you are a dodo bird. You won't, it strips every self-worth out of your body. But you go to class the next day, you learn a little bit more. And even after language school, you say, how could God ever use this, these lips and this tongue? And pretty soon, I'll just cuss y'all out royally. <laughs> You're the most polite crowd, I guarantee you. Not really, I was just seeing, saying, here we are today. I gave the greetings. I said, some of you have come quite a ways to come here. But some of you have come here right from the university and are here worshiping. You know, as you get that language, you are able now to share that which is most precious to you. And that is the gospel. That forgiveness of sin that I received. And then to articulate it in their heart language and man to see how God can use that. So water was not only a way of declaring the gospel, the declaration of it, but it was a demonstration of it. And to be able to get clean water to these people, you know, I miss that even today. Working, living in their huts, getting to dig. You know the Ethiopians there, so backward. They could dig downhill, down the mountain, but they'd never dig up. You say, water doesn't go uphill. So my water team had to dig uphill and then down the next mountain. Finally, we got water to the county seat where we were. Water was a way of demonstrating the love of God, but we were also able to proclaim it. Now I'd like to get into what I really wanted to share and this is the title, Last Words, A Mission Priority. I'll never forget the last words of my mom, who died in 1999, 
She had cervical cancer that metastasized in her lung, and it started to squeeze the life out of her. And we all gathered around her, all the grandkids, and asked, and she breathed out this, God is good no matter what. Then she went to heaven. It's still ringing in this ear and in this ear. I hear it. God is good no matter what. Last words you remember. They count. Then there were Jesus' last words. There in Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and what? And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I love this part. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples and really to us. That's his mandate for the church to go and to make disciples. I like to see this as handcrafted disciple making. Not just some big program, but loving and embracing a person and sharing that which is most precious. And that is that gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus coming out of the splendor and glory of heaven, being born of a virgin, living a sinful, sinless life, heading to the cross, cross empty, three days later to the tomb. Tomb empty. And today, he is in heaven interceding for us. And one day he's coming back. That's what I was able to share. And let me tell you, it was transformational. Not only to the individual, but to the community and even the country. Today in Ethiopia, 115 million people and 20% would call themselves evangelicals who have come to an experience of knowing Jesus Christ as their personal savior. I want you to look at the text today. These are the very last words of Paul. I mentioned the last words of mom, the last words of Jesus. These are the last words of Paul to the Roman church. And this is what it says. By the way, your pastor will spend a year now going through Romans, right? Or maybe longer, I don't know but I'm gonna fast forward to the very end and give you Paul's prayer at the very end. It's sort of his benediction where he sums it up completely. All that theology that you see in the rest of Romans. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret, from long years ago, but has now been disclosed or revealed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience 
of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. My first point is this. Folks, we serve a God who is able. Do you know that when we were there, we never heard any singing whatsoever? The first public gathering after the communists fell and they fled or were killed, the first public was in our front yard. They came by threes because if you travel any more than threes, you were held suspect. Then they came by five. Nobody was arresting them. By tens, by hundreds. We had over 10,000 people show up in our front yard. It's a big pasture. And they were there for three days. It was the first time in all those years we had ever heard any singing. It was the first time we'd ever seen, saw an offering given. It was for the first time that young people had finally heard the public, the public proclamation of the gospel. I have a dear friend. His name is Wubshet Teklewald. Wubshet was trained as Al-Qaeda commando in the same camp as bin Laden. He was given a Bible by the head of the Al-Qaeda at that camp. And he said, read this and refute everything that the epistles have to say, particularly Paul. Refute it. I want you to come back tomorrow. Wubshed got the Bible. He'd never had a Bible. So he took it to his bunk, he started to read. He didn't know where the epistles were, so he started in Genesis. And he began to read and he got to the story of Joseph, where his brothers were in the pit. You know that story and how Joseph loved his brothers. He started to cry. He said, there's nothing like this in the Quran. There's no narrative in the Quran. As he cried, the guy on the top, there's a Taliban guy up top, and he said, what are you crying about? I'm going to report you tomorrow. He was reported, and they said, sorry, we've got to kill you. And they thought about it a minute more, and they said, oh, but your uncle is a head Al-Qaeda guy, top guy in Saudi. We're not going to kill you, but we're going to cook you. And they got corrugated tin and made a box, and they stuck him under there under 135 degrees sun of South Sudan. And he went into a comatose state and the skin started to come off of him. And in that state, he heard a voice from heaven. Wubashet, I love you. They saw he could still move a little bit and they pulled him out, sent him to Addis Ababa, to recoup medically. Then he was going with thousands of dollars to build a new mosque. When they saw this checkpoint, the driver said, we're gonna have to spin out. Hold on, whoopshit, we cannot go through that. And the guy spun out all of a sudden, AK-47 fire, killed the driver instantly. They grabbed whoopshit, pulled him out, stuck him on a rock. The executioner held his weapon on him. 
He said, what is your name? He said, Wubashet. What are you doing? I got money here to build a mosque. What do you want with your body? My last words is this. Please give my body to my aunt. She's about three miles away from here. You had the executioner about ready to fire. There was a man beside him. The guy raised his rifle and then Whoopshet put his hands on his head and he cried out, Oh God, you who I met in the Sudan, if you're there, I give my life to you. Pow, the gun went off and he dropped. But he wasn't dead, he realized. What had happened is the guy standing next to the executioner as he was talking realized that they were blood cousins of the ant that lived three miles away. So the man beside shot the executioner and he dropped dead. And his cousin said, Whoopshet, run, 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 keep going south, keep going south. And he did. And he ended up in a little village. And this pharmacist took him in and really led him to Christ and discipled him. And he led every Muslim in that town to Jesus. Then he said, hey, you need to go further. By the way, that man that was the pharmacist, my daddy taught that man Bible years ago. So we had that connection. And he said, but whoopshit, go further south to this Bible school. It's in Dila. And um, it so happened this was a Bible school that I started with another Canadian guy. And that's where he had his first two years of Bible training. Folks, today he is the head of all of Muslim outreach for Ethiopia to the Muslims. And I got an email just recently, just a few weeks ago, that those who he has trained in a two-year period have won over 6,000 Muslims to Christ. Some of them imams, some of them sheikhs. This is a God that is able. And folks, realize it. He is able. As he goes before, he brings us along and uses us the way we are to bring a people to himself as Wubshet continues this incredible ministry of leading Muslims to Christ and training them sending them out across the world. So we have a God who is able, but secondly, this, a gospel that is personal. We see that it says, my gospel. Paul is speaking about his personal relationship with Jesus. He's reflecting back in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power, the dynamite, of God. I'll never forget. I was five years old and my dad was pastor of the evangelical church there in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And you had to go up this alley and that was our house and the church. A lot of diplomats, business community folks would have to come out. By the way, it was called Pea Alley. It was a little alley and everybody had to pee there before they got up. Still remember it. 
But dad was preaching on the subject of hell. And as a five-year-old, by the way, I, I went forward and at the same time, I have a twin brother, identical. He looks just like me. He's just a little bit uglier. That's all. <laughs> we both moved by the Spirit of God. And my mom was there. She took both of us into my bedroom, which was that door right there. And we prayed to receive Jesus. And you know, we look back, I look back. That is when the gospel became personal. It was personal. I realized the redemption found. I was adopted into his family. But you know, the gospel is also cosmic. It's personal, but it's cosmic. If you look at Revelation 21, you see there's the restoration of the world. And the cross is important in that, in personal and cosmic. This is the God that is able. And this is the gospel that is personal. Let's look a little further. Can we have that on the screen, please? According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret from long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. So we have a God that is able, we have a gospel that is personal, and we have a mystery that's revealed. My favorite holiday, it's probably yours, is Christmas. I love Christmas. No, why I like Christmas? Same reason you do. You, you get presents. We were out in the bush in Ethiopia. And all five of us kids had come from school, got home. And man, the excitement started. Christmas was coming. And it got to be near Christmas Eve when we heard this noise. <laughs> That's the truck that brings Christmas to our house. In other words, that's jingle bells in Ethiopia. <laughs> the excitement level built up higher. And it got to Christmas Eve, even starting to get a little bit dark, late afternoon. And guess what we heard? <laughs> Uh-oh. It was in the same place. That truck was stuck and five kids went into depression. We were not going to get any presents from America, from our grandparents. We weren't going to get any candy from America, which we wanted so much. Five-year periods out there, we need some candy. So my dad, Bill, said to Elaine, my mom, what are we going to do? So they said, well, well, let's just take a walk. So they took a little walk down a path in these huts. And on one of the huts was a string. And on that string were five flashlights. All made in China. Guaranteed to last three days. They said, let's get them. They got the flashlights. They brought them. Now we had gone to bed. Almost in tears. 
Mom looked at our guy that helped clean around the house and that man said, I can go get something, I'll bring it back. So he went and came back to the back door with this stinking thing. Mom smelt it through the screen door and said, take that thing away from here. He went and he washed it. A little bit later, came back, it was still stinking because it was wet. But mom saw that it was a baby lamb. Mom got that lamb, brought it into the kitchen by the wood stove, fired that thing up, and kept it there most of the night to dry. And then they put it in their bedroom. Christmas morning is arrived. We wake up, we go into the living room, and we get the flashlights. We start playing tag. Loved it! Uh, playing tag. And then the door of their bedroom creaked open. And out bound the lamb. All five of us went after the lamb on that concrete floor. I'll never forget my little brother David running, grabbing it, tackling it, grabbing the tail, lifting the tail, looking at the back. Is this a boy? Is this a girl? Poof, put it back down again. You know, there was another Christmas. Another lamb was given. And this was the lamb of Jesus. Worthy is the lamb as we were singing. It was that Christmas that he was born in that stable. We had that virgin birth, that sinless life to the cross, empty, to the tomb, empty, and now up. This was the mystery revealed, including the Spirit of God, as we see in the book of Ephesians, to indwell us, to comfort us, to help us. That mystery revealed. As we move on, we see something vitally important, y'all. And it is, has been known to what? All nations. Paul summing it up, all nations. Ethnos is the word, ethnic group, every ethnic group. We gotta go. We gotta go. I was telling you about that large gathering in our front yard. Well, the Spirit of God, as the church was surfacing, the Spirit moved in an amazing way, and I drove as far as I could go, two, three hours, walked in about two or three hours, and I heard singing. There was another crowd, close to 10,000 people there too. But what I remember about this, what it was time to take the offering, they hadn't taken an offering, so they started to take off their outer garments and they would come and they were all seeing this huge crowd and the mountain started, it got higher and higher. And then the women and the men started taking off their jewelry, bringing the jewelry, putting it down. Then the young people, we all, they always loved their music, right? They brought their boom boxes, hundreds of them. All made in China. 
all look alike. I don't know how they ever got the one they put there, but that was most precious to them. They brought that as their offering. Then they started bringing in the sheep. Then they started bringing in the cows and the bulls. I mean, some big fellas. But what I remember now, the elders sitting in the front here, mountain of clothes, they couldn't see the crowd, but I was on the end. And I saw this young girl rocking like this. Everybody singing, she was rocking, looking at that mountain. And then a deacon came by and said, Girl, what are you doing? You're going to cause a problem here? Sit down. Embarrassed, she sat down. As soon as that guy left, she stood right back up. She started doing this number, rocking. And then she bolted, folks. Bolted to the mountain of clothes and went up, up, up. Fosbury flop, if you know what that means. She got at the apex there and came crashing down on all those clothes. And as she hit, she cried out, Oh God, I give myself a living sacrifice to you! Whoa. Silence. And all the elders grabbed their mouths and went, which being interpreted is, whoa, <laughs> wow. God demands nothing less, nothing more, nothing else than all of you. You with your resources or lack of them. You with your personality or lack of it. He wants you the way you are for his kingdom purpose, purposes. I'll never forget when I made that decision. Stephen Olford was preaching in Asheville and he said, who of you will go anywhere at any cost, at any time for your Lord Jesus? I said, yeah. And I walked up. I want to give you that same invitation. As we look at the gospel that's so precious that God tells us to share with the nations, people living and dying without Christ. Some of you have never even thought of making this kind of a decision, but I believe that the Spirit of God is working and He wants you to consider that option of serving Him, maybe in a cross-cultural situation, to those who need Jesus. So I ask you to consider that. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these last words. Thank you, Lord, for directing us to Ethiopia. Lord, we see the needs around the world. We see the needs here. And I pray that you would stir our hearts to re-examine our own hearts 
to see what you can do in us to reach these nations for yourself. I pray this in the name of you, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a missionary God. Amen.